digging in the dirt. I'm digging in the dirt. This is Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher, where Kevin and his guests dig a little deeper into today's issues surrounding the environment, climate change, farming, gardening, and food. My guest today on Digging in the Dirt is author Robin L. Avant, a local lady who lives right here in Bridgeport and is an academic dean at Housatana Community College. Robin is an enthusiastic gardener, like many of you who listen to Digging in the Dirt, and so much so that she's written a lovely personal book called The Spirit of Gardening, Gardening for Newbies, The Life Revealed Through Gardening. Welcome, Robin, and congratulations on your publishing of your new book. Thank you so much. So why did you decide you needed to write this book? And what does the phrase, a life revealed through gardening mean? Uh, So really, it is a sustainability approach. And it's really finding the spirit within what we're doing. And so when you think about the spirit, it's really life and the actual life in gardening. So I'm a scientist. I come from a science background. So my master's is biomolecular science and a bachelor's and associates in biotechnology. And, you know, I really believe in the organisms, the living organisms and life in everything that we're a part of, what we're eating, what we're putting into us. And so that's where the life revealed uh, through gardening comes from. And just to watch something from its infancy of a seed sprouting and then developing and then now you're yielding a fruit a vegetable an herb Um, it's it's amazing when you can actually watch the life cycle I kind of collectively have that approach with anything that we're doing and the spirit within what we're doing is it's about life Right. So you uh, wrote it for what you call newbies spelled b-e-e-s so tell us what what do you consider to be newbies Yes. So somebody that's ready to get their hands dirty and dig in the dirt or um, exploring it, but just not knowing exactly what to do next, wanting to, you know, eat healthier, wanting to be a part of uh, gardening or sustaining their food source, but just not knowing what to do next, how to, how to actually start it up, how to continue growing each year or uh, succession planning, we call it, and everything that phases out and then phasing the new item in. So that's our newbie, typical term of newbie. But I, I kind of put the twist on it with the B-E-E, since we need our bumblebees, we need our honeybees to always be a part of gardening and pollination. And so that's where that little spin came from. Hmm. It, well, the book looks like it's a bit of a family affair. Your mother wrote the forward and you take inspiration from Grace and DeMarco. So tell me about them. What what brings them into the picture here as a gardener? Absolutely. So, um, and I also have um, the passion from my grandmothers, both of my grandmothers, and I'm biracial, so black and white. And my grandmother, who is English, she always was, a, you know, fascinated with flowers and fruits and veggies. She is passed away, both of them, but, you know, always living in Florida and so had the tropical approach. And then my grandmother from my dad's side, African-American and very Southern. And so all of her squash and huge um, different foods that I remember and her garden just being bountiful. So when I really started working in the garden, I recognized that the little fingers of our youth, um, so my children, 
when they put their fingers in, it was the perfect depth for our seed. They actually made my holes, you know, uh, <laughs> that the seed went into and it was perfect versus an adult finger, which is actually too wide, too deep. They actively are growing and going into the garden, exploring and really taking part in it. And so I see it as like a, a generational approach to it and passing along the baton or the knowledge of growing uh, and really sustaining. Yep, I get it. I, I did the same thing. My grandmother had a big garden, although I never worked with her in the garden. She was mm -hmm. always doing it. We were always running by doing something, you know, being boys. And then I could see her in there. And, you know, the other day I put it together, you know, she used to mulch. And I, you know, I never put mulching together till later in life, you know, when I became really interested in gardening. And and I said, wow, my grandmother, the old Irish grandmother out there in the garden with her, everything mulched and growing cabbages and things like that. So I, I get it, you know, even if you don't participate you sort of get it by osmosis right I think that's the biggest piece that I definitely was not interactive with my grandmothers in the garden but what we see is what we ultimately can do and so I think just seeing hearing being a part of that automatically stems within us and so you're exactly right mm -hmm. so let's go over the book a little bit it's, it's quite a good little resource I think I think people who pick this up will find that they could refer to it over and over again for different aspects you know so let's what do you, what do you, would you tell a newbie so let's assume we're talking to somebody that's brand new at this and you know and because of the pandemic or because they want to get back to uh, some more of nature in their lives they've decided they wanted to start gardening so what would you say to them is the, the first thing they got to think about? So I'm actually teaching a gardening class now, and they're all newbies, different uh, locations throughout the U.S. The biggest piece is getting familiar with, to me, a seed, a seed packet. And so there's so much information within a seed packet when you just turn it around and start exploring and understanding what is that seed? What will you ultimately create from that seed? What kind of environment does that seed need to be in? And, and really starting on that basis scale and then growing from there uh, is really important to know what you want ultimately. What kind of item do you want to grow? And so then that dictates the environment as well as the timing in the year that you can grow it. You can't just grow a cantaloupe in, in, in the winter or have really good thriving lettuce in the deep summer. So it's really important that if you're using the outdoors um, or maybe you're starting indoor, that you kind of uh, step back and think about what do you ultimately want to grow? And so for a newbie, that's the best place to start. What do you want to grow? When that comes next, when are you growing it or planting it? And then where? Uh, and that matters about your geographical locations and then just in your yard alone. Um, it's, a, it's a compass on its own. So there's different sides, different sun or, or shading. And so those pieces really do matter so that you have the best yield. It's interesting you say what to, what to grow. You know, that is a big deal. I mean, I'm a herb grower, tomatoes, garlic, onions, peppers, you know, the standard mostly are cucumbers and zucchinis and, and lately squash I use on trellises. But it's really funny sometimes, like my brother, who's just in the last year or so decided to, that he's going to follow along in my path and start growing some stuff. And he says, yeah, I planted iceberg lettuce the other day. I said, well, good luck with that. Yep, yep. <laughs> Everybody thinks they're going to get that iceberg head of lettuce you know and that ain't gonna happen you're better off trying butter butter lettuce or something that's like that. right that's right and romaine and the leafy yes it's very interesting 
uh, when you get really into it. I mean, our excitement drives us, but you do want to put some awareness behind it and, and some basic knowledge uh, so that you don't get disappointed because I think a lot of the gratification is I actually made something. And ate um, it. <laughs> yes, I brew this, but you want to get to that point. And that doesn't always happen immediately. I don't want people discouraged. I almost look at this as an experiment, but again, that's my science background that you have to try different things. You have to um, change the environment a little bit. You have to less water, more water. It depends on the circumstance, but really try things out and experiment with it. Yeah, I agree. And and also mother nature is a harsh mistress, right? That's why you grow more than you need because she's going to wipe out some of it for sure. That's right. Wind um, from pests and animals that naturally are coming by, even uh, sunburn, right? Our, our crops do get sunburned. So there's a lot to it. And, um, you know, ultimately, once someone grows to that scale of of more and more knowledge each day, um, it's fine. But, you know, for the newbie, just start slow. You can start indoor, outdoor and go from there. Right. And remember that if you don't uh, like net your garden or or at least uh, cover things, you're going to end up sharing with the birds and the squirrels. (laughs) And they love it. Yeah, they love what you're growing, for sure. So before we move to another aspect, what do you think about, like, say, if you wanted to give five things somebody should try to grow? I mean, I think tomatoes are automatic. But what are other things that are going to be kind of easy for a newbie? Definitely herbs. So lots of indoor herbs, and you can choose um, a whole bunch of kinds. But mint is very easy. It's it's ultimately a weed. And so um, I just, you know, I want to always emphasize that with weed like or invasive, they they take over. So make sure wherever you plant uh, mint, you know, it's going to expand from there. Um, But mint is fairly easy. And it's very, you know, delicious in so so many different types of ways great for our digestive uh, system as a whole. So I think a lot of the herbs, chives, cilantro, oregano, And then I also encourage, you know, newbies to really start with uh, perennials so that you know it will come back each year, each year versus having to always feel like you have to replant something again and again. What would that be? uh, uh, So basically the annuals versus perennials. And so, uh, for instance, there's a, a lot of variety of basil that you obviously have to grow each year. And that's an annual versus oregano or thyme uh, that comes back each year for us. Mm-hmm. As long as you cover it well for your winter, since we're in the Northern and, and it really preserves itself and it comes back each year, same as mint. Uh, so I would definitely differentiate the two and make sure that you can try more of the perennials and, and have those just naturally coming back, which really it's lessens your actual labor in the garden at those points. I love green beans. I love um, peas. I think that they're fairly easy. Again, um, the the background behind them, they're uh, self-pollinating. So they close up on their own and their flowers are within themselves. So it's actually easier versus um, some of the harder things like squash, which do require a female and male uh, flower and the true pollination. So um, I would definitely go with peas or beans. Mm-hmm. 
And I just want to chime in here and say a cautionary thing about mint. It will take over. I like, I've over. changed into pots for mint. I yes. like mint in my uh, mojitos and stuff, but I, it, I'll tell you, if you don't watch it, it'll just take over. And, and I mean, it's easy to pull out, but it, dev, it definitely was pernicious. Though. So you have to it, be real it is. And it takes, it takes over fast. Yeah, so really you're does. two or three, it is everywhere. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Be cautious with mint. Um, so we're talking to Robin L. Avant. She has a new book out there called The Spirit of Gardening, Gardening for Newbies, The Life Revealed Through Gardening. And we're going through some of the basics here for people who are interested in getting a little more into gardening. We've talked uh, about what, what we might want to grow and when when location isn't a big deal because you want to make sure you have enough sun for the day. That's like an issue I have, I have huge hedges on one side of the yard. So my son doesn't get there till around 930 in the morning and then it's gone by four. But that's enough sun, right? We need Correct. about six, seven hours at least. Correct. Yes. And then and if you have fruit trees or, or, or fruits as a whole, um, they do want a little bit more. So uh, your standard fruit trees should have about eight hours. Sure. But you're not recommending a newbie really start with fruit trees, right? I mean, because that's, no, not that's necessarily. Not yeah, not necessarily. That's definitely uh, more on the advanced side. Uh, we actually talked about fruit trees today. And there's a lot to it um, in your selection type and the amount of years before it actually flowers. Uh, so definitely that would come a little later after you get some basic gardening down. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine the next thing after location, make sure you have enough sun. And we got to talk about the soil. Because so if you're picking a spot and it's never grown anything in there, you really do have to help it out with organic matter, right? And 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 what, what do you recommend in that regard to, to uh, okay. spruce up your soil? Absolutely. So um, really, there's three basic chemicals when you think periodic table, not chemicals, meaning additives. And so um, your nitrogen, your phosphorus and your potassium. So NPK. And those are your typical items that you'll see in fertilizers, whether it's organic or uh, manufactured. And so you can add various things from your own food, what you eat daily, and then how you would decompose it or compost it. And that can naturally go right into your ground, or you can put it into a composting bin and then utilize that into your soil from, you know, banana peels to eggshells to cardboard and, and actual matter that will break down in the soils. And so that uh, is very helpful and it, it puts nutrients right into your soil that's already naturally there. A big piece that we forget is, and sometimes people shy away from it, we need our worms. We really need our decomposers to be there. And so as they eat and excrete, and that's what we want to actually go right back into this cycle of life for our harvest. Yeah. Sure. So you, I noticed in the book that you say, okay, you have a compost bin or you can have a compost pile. Sometimes in a city, that's a little dicey because of uh, pests like uh, four-legged ones Absolutely. with long tails. You know, we have to be careful about rats. So you want to make sure that everything is tossed good and, and covered and, you know, it gets nice and hot so that it doesn't get the, the kind of pest that we don't want in the city. But that's right. But I liked what you said in there about just you know, putting it into the garden. If you have, if you, I always call us as uh, sort of the first decomposer. So I like to run things through the fruit processor of all my, my waste scraps, and then I chuck them into the garden. And you, you sort of recommend the same thing. 
Absolutely. Um, especially if you could break it down in the house first, then bring it out into the yard. Uh, some people like to actually dig a kind of pit and place all of it in and then use that soil over time elsewhere. Um, and definitely, like you had mentioned, based on your environment, and it could be anywhere, but you were going to have those critters, the animals always um, lurking and luring. So it's great to cover up everything so that you really make sure you can come back to your, you know, your tomatoes not being eaten or your strawberries not being eaten and really go from there. But definitely composting is very key in a sustainability process. But then also when you think about the rich, rich nutrient soil sure. that is needed. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, like, it seems really to me over the years, I've learned that from doing this program and others and talking to the experts that if you're throwing stuff away, you're throwing away money. I mean, you're throwing yes. away good fertilizer, basically, that's going to to help the soil. So don't do that. Dig a nice trench in your garden and throw it in there at the very least. Uh, in, right. If you don't want to do a composting bin or a composting pile. That's right. And then we're going to go buy it anyway. So it's like definitely reuse it some way, somehow. And I think that's the biggest piece with sustaining our life as a whole. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, we've learned a lot over the last years about cover crops and then compare soil and, and, and making good, rich, loamy soil is important to the plant because the plant needs that nutrition from the soil. That's right. So a nice new touch that I saw in your book was that you have a uh, quite a few pages for like making an area map, uh, like a grid. I like that touch. You want to explain why you put that in there? Uh, a lot of the newbies um, kind of write things down. And even as you're growing in, in time and advancing in your experience, we're seeing a lot of organizational skills, right? And writing things down and mapping it out. And so the grid really helps. And there's also a note section, but the grid helps so that you can plot it out. You can base it on a certain diameter, certain spacing that you may have. Also add in your compass, meaning your directional components and really start mapping out maybe companion plants and what grows nicely next to each other, whether one's higher uh, in, in height and then one's shorter, but it's okay because they like shade and really maximize your gardening space. So that's the big point there. Coming from Bridgeport and you know residing in Bridgeport, we have an urban space, so we have smaller area and it's really important to maximize your garden as a whole. Uh, let's talk about Bridgeport because that's where we're at. You know, I saw in the book, you said that Bridgeport's poverty rate is about a little bit above the national average, about 21%. And that's, that's kind of scary, you know, and, you know, I guess it's considered a food desert. And, it is. and mm -hmm. are you seeing some trends towards more and more people growing their own stuff? I have had people on this program, like Khadija Muhammad and, and others from Green Village Initiative that seem to be inspiring people to have their own little plot of land and grow stuff. Are you seeing the same thing? Absolutely. You see the interest level uh, increasing more and more, just even if it's supplementing small ways, you know, just the herbs or something small, but you see a, a more awareness that's growing and um, you see the community farms and community gardens that are scattered throughout Bridgeport being more and more utilized. Um, at some point, there was uh, about 30 of them and half of them were underutilized in the city areas or that district. And you can drive by them now and really see the activity, 
the excitement. You see it being embedded into schools, right? So there's cool. gardens that are actually on school grounds and they're adding it into the nutrition or health and sciences of the curriculum. Uh, so we're going to recognize that this is critical for our life as a whole and sustaining life as a whole. And, and we don't want to, we almost want to pull back our ancestry, our, our, our agriculture that we grew up on or knew about at some point uh, in literature and bring that back um, because right now with the plastic waste, with, with poverty waste, with all of these different issues, we really need to do something. And that's critical that we change as a whole mindset, but also physically doing the change. And so I love GVI, Green Village Initiative. I love the mission and aspect that they're a part of. Um, we at, actively at Housatonic Community College uh, allow students, high school students to earn credit college credit through plant cool. and civilization courses and all different types of things that allow them to earn college credit, but also the fundamentals, learning how to garden and grow. Huh. So I hope that we can change things. I hope so too. We'll try to keep the attention on that here at Digging the Dirt. You know, um, I GVI, I've had the people of Ellie up here and the uh, different people to talk about stuff and we'll probably have them again. But they mentioned that one of the things that attracts new gardeners are the immigrants from all over the world. We're not just talking, say, from Latin America or Mexico, but also from Africa. Like yes. they have things that they remember growing and eating that's part of their dishes that they can't get here. So they want to grow them. So they become really popular too. That's right. I love Ellie. We're actually very close in making sure that this partnership thrives. And that's exactly right that, you know, natives from uh, Haiti, from Africa, from European, from all over the Latin America, there is exactly that. There's this need of nutrition, of vitamin, of minerals that they used to get and they don't get it here. And yes, that's a difference in climate, but you can absolutely grow certain things that bring back that uh, historical taste, that bring back where you were born and, and allowing you to continue those culture-based dishes in your household, allowing your children to learn how to make them, to grow them. And so it's critical that we continue uh, culture-based uh, concepts and really make sure that that's never lost. Sure. Yeah, you hear about like Southern cooking, you know, and how uh, during slavery, they, they, they got the slaves got the dregs of things or they grew things that the, the white master and the local population didn't want to eat. And then they that became part of the culture. So up here, I heard that they're growing, there's more than one kind of collards, for instance, you know, I, I had no idea, but there's ones that I really want that kind of collards. And the only way you're going to get it is to grow it yourself. That's right. And, you know, this was the first year that I actually focused on okra, um, a very Southern um, item. And my father was excited to have it. And, you know, something that I just didn't always like, but I always saw it. And so it was nice to actually bring back a flavor, a culture, a taste for my dad. Uh, he's 76. And so it was very nice for him to have. Oh, cool. That's mm -hmm. really, yeah, I like I like my okra shredded and fried, and then I yes. and then I sprinkle it with gram masala, sort of an Indian style dish. Yum! I, I don't like the kind of like the stew so much. It's just it's just uh, you know what you what you're used to. <laughs> yes, and a bit slimy. <laughs> yeah, you um, got to get used to that texture. That's for sure. That's right. That's right. <laughs>
So um, what you want to tell me before we finish up here about your virtual teaching class, do you teach in person when COVID has gone? Are you going to teach in the area or is it just virtual? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we continue. What we did learn through COVID is uh, gardening as a whole has truly increased. You go to the shopping centers. It was, you know, no items on the shelves. And then the organic food went last, but it still went. And so you saw a lot of people focusing on, I need to stock my own shelves by learning how to garden. And so we didn't want to lose that. And so we just created our virtual gardening course. It just ran for the last three weeks. Next week is our last one and we will issue a new one. And then Housatonic actually just identified space within the labs. And now that's our agriculture lab where we will grow indoor foods under uh, heat lamps, et cetera. And then once they're uh, large enough, we'll either share the seedlings out, hopefully for Earth Day, that's our plan, which is April 22nd. And then anything that is not shared out, we will put in the active gardens across the campus so that the children from the lab school all the way to our students, as well as our faculty and staff, they can continue to grow and garden and harvest. Very cool. And so where can people find out more information about this kind of stuff? Uh, so husatonic.edu, we have the STEM initiative. So our, our science, technology, engineering, art, and math for STEAM and uh, STEM. And so we really focus in on our edible campus. It just started and we're trying to really build it more and more throughout the year. So if anyone wants to come on down or uh, email me directly, that is fine. I'm also listed right on our Housatonic site. And we will have distribution of seedlings on Earth Day. And that's really our time that you can gather more information of some courses that are coming up. We have a herbalism course that's also being offered. That starts next week. So you can go right to our Housatonic.edu page and you'll find all of that. Very good. Very good. And what about your virtual gardening class? Where can they see that? Uh, so that is also available through the Housatonic.edu, and it's a non-credit course. And so although we're ending next week for the virtual, those recordings are available as well as PowerPoints. And we're going to offer this course again, uh, probably uh, about three weeks out from now, so that we can continue to really inspire and build awareness in gardening. And we go from there. So those courses are available. And again, my name is Robin Ella Rant. So that's also found on Housatonic.edu. Yeah, very good, Robin. This sounds all real exciting. And so keep in touch with Digging the Dirt and we'll help you with this too. Robin is Robin L. Avant, A-V-A-N-T. And she has a great little resource book out called The Spirit of Gardening, Gardening for Newbies, The Life Revealed Through Gardening. I want to thank you so much for coming on, Robin. Thank you so much. Digging in the dirt. Digging in the dirt. You've been listening to Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher. To hear past programs anytime you want, visit the podcast section of WPKN.org or diggingindthedirtradio.com.